0: The engineers named in this episode are a big deal. And they happen to be trans women. You should know them next on the K 12 Engineering Education Podcast. I'm Pius Wong in Austin, Texas. My guest is Dr. Ada Rhodes Short, mechanical engineer in robotics with dreams of making R2D2 real. She also has a new project tracking trans women engineers and their inventions and legacies. Dr. Short spoke with me about it from here in Texas. Dr. Ada Rhodes Short, I know that you're a mechanical engineer and I always love when real engineers can talk to us on the show. I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and what kind of engineering you do.
1: Yeah, so I'm Dr. Ada Rhodes Short. I have a PhD in mechanical engineering. My dissertation was on uh, sort of the intersection of robotics, design, and automation. So like, how do we design robots and automated systems and systems that work with robots? And can we make robots that design things? So I do sort of like, kind of like weird robotics, is probably (laughs) the best way to describe it. Uh, I also have a lot of industry experience, which you don't always get with the PhDs. My first really big, like exciting job that I had was with Sphero Robotics. That's S-P-H-E-R-O, Sphero, which they do toy robotics and some education robotics. I'm sure some of your listeners probably have some Sparks, which is the Spark Plus is a product I worked on. Um, I also worked on their Star Wars app-enabled BB-8. And Lightning McQueen and a handful of other fun robotic toys. That's awesome. Yeah. And then worked for Misty Robotics. And then I did some other industry work that we won't talk about here. Secret Um, stuff. Okay. (laughs) um, And right now I'm doing a postdoc at Texas A&M where I'm working on an industry project and a NASA funded project. And then I am about to start as a tenure track professor at University of Nebraska, Omaha in their IT innovation department.
0: Congratulations. That's awesome. And it's funny that you mentioned like some of my favorite robots. I think a lot of teachers are familiar with Sphero at the very least. And I also wanted to clarify if I heard correctly, you said you study or you create robots that can design other things. Is that right? Did I mishear kind that? Kind
1: of. Yeah. I So I study computational cognition, which is basically robot brains. Hmm. So one of the big questions in design is design synthesis and design automation, which is how do we make a machine that can design a thing and solve problems on its own? So I've done some early work on that. My dissertation involved mission design, which is a type of design problem where it was together these big, complex space missions, and I also have a few paper papers on just general design automation and the decision-making and math and technical problems behind that. Hmm.
0: I could totally have a robot conversation with you for an extended episode, I'm sure. Um, so I hate to kind of not go too deep into that. Uh, maybe we'll table that for later. I actually also wanted to talk to you about some of your... Work uh, related to engineering, but not quite harder engineering. You do a lot of advocacy related to uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion. I was wondering if you talk a little bit about that too.
1: Yeah, so I am one of those people that just, I guess, ended up doing a lot of DEI work just because I am I, I'm a queer trans woman. I came out as queer in high school. And that was a long time ago now, and that was at a time where there weren't a lot of people who looked like me. I wasn't aware of anyone who looked like the human I wanted to grow into who wasn't engineering or math or science at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went to Baylor University, which was a poor choice. (laughs) Uh, it has a
0: reputation. I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but
1: Yeah, I guess I'm part of that reputation. I um I co founded what at the time was called Sexual Identity Forum, which was the first attempt at like an open queer student group on Baylor campus. Originally I wanted to call it Waco Queer Alliance because I'm a rambunctious human and our my co founder, Sam, she came up with uh Sexual Identity Forum because she was like, we should actually try and get chartered and they'll never charter like Baylor Queer Alliance mm. or anything along those lines. So we went with sexual identity Forum, And it's been like about a decade since we first applied for a charter and the group is still going and it's still not chartered, but it's now called Gamma Alpha Epsilon, which spells gay in Greek letters, which is So cool. Those kids are much cooler than I am. (laughs) And then I've been involved in a lot of women in tech and diversity in tech stuff. And a big part of my philosophy around that is I've done a lot of community organizing and like mutual aid projects for the trans community and the queer community in general. But one of the biggest things I try to do is just be really open and out and proud and just be a good role model because. I think visibility is one of the most important things for queer young people of all shades and colors and shapes that want to go into STEM is it doesn't look like a field where we're welcome from the outside and just being the most me and the most loud and out, I think is a really great way to show them you can be whoever you are and be the brilliant you who asks weird questions and finds amazing answers.
0: You talked about how visibility is normally really important to to young people, especially to help them on their way and getting their education. How were you interested in engineering back in the day? And did you have help? Did you have heroes or anyone who, who inspired you to uh, continue on that path of engineering?
1: Yeah. So... For me, the thing that made me get into engineering was robotics. I was one of those kiddos that saw R2-D2 and was like, I want that to exist. <laughs> and then was really bummed when I found out as I got older and older that like, oh, that's a really hard problem to solve. Sure. Um, but I'm, I'm working on it. Uh, but I always knew I wanted to be some sort of engineer. I sort of dabbled. I had some phases in like genetics. And uh, rocketry and paleontology and all of those have kind of come together into like expertise and like space system robotics stuff and decision making facing risk, which is really exciting and cool. But I just sort of followed my obsessive passion as a kiddo. Hmm. As far as role models go, there wasn't anyone who looked anything like me or who i knew i was or saw my life as who Mm. was doing visibly doing the work that i wanted to do so i glommed on to fiction and there's even though this character is not trans or explicitly queer uh isaac asimov's robot stories there's a character named susan calvin because there just wasn't even like a woman visibly doing what i wanted to do Mm. And um, so Susan Calvin from Isaac Asimov's Stories, who's a robot psychologist, so she studies robot brains, became kind of this human I wanted to be. I also really grabbed onto like the Doctor from Doctor Who, which is a horrible role model because it turns out, um, yeah, don't. Don't try and model your life after an adventurer who's constantly lonely and moody. You'll just be lonely and moody. <laughs> yeah, so... Now, I, have, I guess I have a podcast called Totally Trans, Searching for the Trans Canon, that I host with my friend Henry, where we look for a trans representation in unexpected media through allegory. Um, and increasingly, we're starting to do just general historical stuff. We just did an interview with, uh, with someone a couple of weeks ago that's going to come out soon um, that I can't really talk about yet. That is about... Just interviewing this person with this really weird thing in trans history, and we have a few more of those coming up. Cool, and then I have some other science communication related projects where I'm looking at the history of science and how that plays out. And then I have a project that I don't know and will ever be finished, but this is why you reached out to me originally, yeah, about trans women in engineering because I had a really weird moment where I Realized that like, yeah, I still don't know. I have a PhD in this and I still don't know a lot of trans women who did this. And the ones I did were forced to like hide themselves in various ways mm-hmm. and go through a lot of like horrible violence to do, be an engineer and be a trans person <laughs> and just be, be who yeah. they were, be a woman. And there's like Lynn Conway who is an amazing human who has like for honorary doctorates and like sometimes i feel like an honorary doctorate can be like kind of iffy like someone will get one and it's like (laughs) "Eh." but like i feel like lynn conway should have more honorary doctorates because she basically invented the modern world and additionally she blazed this trail for just women in general because she was uh she wasn't she was stealth which is or woodworked is another term for that It just means that she like wasn't out as a trans woman. Mm-hmm. She just was living as a woman and didn't let anyone know since like the 1960s, but she blazed this huge trail for women in engineering. And then she came out in the late nineties publicly. Um, and it was sort of this weird situation where she was like coming out before someone else was kind of about to outer mm. and has been really involved in advocacy and giving back to the community since then. Uh, and it's just so cool. She like, just look up Lynn Conway on Wikipedia. She's literally probably one of the most important engineers of the 20th century. And you just like, can't understate the importance of like the work she's done. Like she came up with generalized dynamic instruction handling, which is a really important part of out of order execution, which I know sounds really technical, but that is what allows us to write programs and like make Computers that can handle multiple operations by sort of doing things out of order a little bit. So, you like made it to do like a plus b equals c and d plus e equals f. And those don't need to be done in order, right? There's like no part from that first equation and that second equation. Hmm. So, originally, machines would have to like do a plus b equals c and just kind of sit and wait for that to finish before we could do the second equation but her work enabled technology that let us do both of those simultaneously, which is so cool.
0: Yes. I, I think that ability, like I should say thanks to Lynn Conway all the time. I remember when I had to learn programming in the beginning and it it was such a, a strange thing to wrap my head around doing things exactly in the same order. So that's cool that you bring her up.
1: Yeah. Well, and she also um, was instrumental in coming up with very large system architecture, VLSI, which is the like educational paradigm that enabled basically all of modern electrical and computer engineering, like all of it. Uh, There was a textbook that she co-authored with Carver Mead, who's the guy who came up with Moore's Law, where they talked about how you could design Like design computers and, um, oh my gosh, like micro, like computing systems, electrical systems that were agnostic of like semiconductor technology. Because the problem used to be like the designers needed to work with the physicists really closely because everything was so linked. And they came up with these rules and grammars and all these things that they put into this textbook called Introduction to VLSI Systems uh, that came out in the late 70s. And we literally call this shift in history, the Mead and Conway revolution, because it enabled like literally everything, like literally all of our modern computer chips came from this architecture, which is just beyond cool. And that's mm-hmm. why we have this huge explosion in the 80s and 90s of all this like computer based technology, like video games, Casio watches, everything through like your phone right now is all enabled by the discovery of like the discovery slash invention of VLSI, which is just neat. So I stand, Lynn Conway. All right. Uh, all right, So much.
0: Super glad you mentioned her first. Yeah. Um, actually. Yeah. I should back up a little bit. Like number one, if, if no one gets anything else from this podcast, Lynn Conway, we'll, we'll put that up out there. But Well, I reached out to you because you kind of talked about on Twitter, this project of yours, learning about and publicizing uh, trans women engineers, or even just trans engineers uh, who were maybe famous or not famous, but just important to engineering. Could I ask you why you were trying to start this project and why you think it'll never end?
1: Yeah. So a big part of this is sort of the answer to that first question you asked me of who I looked up to Hmm. as a kiddo and who I saw as a possible future. And I had to be my own role model because there wasn't someone that I knew about that looked like me. And that sucked. Like now you can find find like these histories online and a lot of them are like obscure and hidden and impactful but not well known and these names aren't really well known with the exception of like Lynn Conway's name is well known but her place in trans history and the history of technology is both kind of glossed over Hmm. and I wanted to be able to tell these stories and capture them I really love history and storytelling so I started a project where I'm just looking into these and I hope to do something with it I don't know what format that'll end up being in it might be a podcast or a book but I just want to start doing this research because also this generation of trans women that were really important in sort of all of our modern technology, they're, mm. they're getting up there in age. Lynn is 83 and still alive. And then there's other people like Sophie Wilson, who is younger. I guess she was born in like 1957, um, who she designed like the arm reduced instruction Set. Computer in like 1983, and like ARM is like the chipset that is on in all of our phones. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to be able to like capture and publicize these stories. An unexpected part of this is I'm a mechanical engineer, which is the type of engineers where we hit things with hammers sometimes
0: <laughs> and blow things up. Or well, maybe that's more aerospace, but
1: yeah. Well, I feel like aerospace is a sub discipline of. Mechanical. Is Everything is learned. a
0: subdiscipline of mechanical, is what I've learned in the end. That's, like,
1: yeah, that's fair. Or electrical is a subdiscipline of mechanical at this point. Uh, yeah. Don't tell them that; they'll be we mad. Get,
0: there, are, yes, there are fights that I've <laughs> I've seen, but um, but yeah. So as a mechanical engineer, you're kind of looking at all these different achievements and fields in, in all sorts of engineering, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and I wanted to particularly find out. I guess who the first, this is such like an arbitrary goal to pass, but who the first like openly trans woman to get her PhD in mechanical engineering was Hmm. uh, because there's not a lot of trans women in general who have gotten their PhD after transitioning without being like deeply stealth and having to like hide themselves. Mm -hmm. And I figured it'd be like someone from like the eighties, probably just because of a lot of the other history happening around then. And I asked around and did a lot of research. And I eventually someone was like, oh, well, we looked into it. And you're definitely the first one from Oregon State University, which is hmm. where I got my PhD, which is a a, a very trans friendly campus. Cool. And I kept looking and it looks like I was the first. Uh, well, com- like, congratulations, congratulations, I guess. Yeah. Um, wow. which is, yeah, which was really surprising. Cause I defended my dissertation in 2018. Yeah. yeah. You would think so,
0: that there'd be someone, but
1: yeah, it's either, it's lost to history. I have, I've been asking around and trying to work with ASME and OSTEM and a few other orgs to find who this person is. And I think I currently have like a pinned post on Twitter just saying, like it's it looks like it's me. Please tell me if you know someone else because I really mm-hmm. want to find and interview that person, and then just also just hang out with them and like buy them coffee and be like, "How did you survive this?" <laughs> right? Gosh, it's it's hard.
0: Yeah. And speaking of Twitter, uh, you in your your search for other trans women engineers, I think you put out a call to Twitter to see who else knew of any engineers we should know about. I'm curious, who else did you find out about that maybe you didn't know about before?
1: Yeah. So, a few that really stood out were Danielle Bunton Berry, who I had never heard of. I'm a fan. I'll just say that out there. Oh, great. Yeah. So, she is an industrial engineer. Uh, I believe she completed her degree in 1974. And she started making video games as a hobby, and then it quickly became a career. And she made games like Mule, which was like one of the first multiplayer games. And it's like a turn-based strategy game with like real-time elements.
0: I totally played that with my brothers on the Commodore 64 as a kid all the time. That's why I'm a fan. But anyway, not to interrupt too much.
1: No, that's that's like, it. that game itself has like such a big legacy. Um she ended up making 11 games between like 1978 and 1992, which is like such a huge accomplishment for that time. Like, mm-hmm. for especially when you like look at all of the groundbreaking work she did. Um, she w- ended up being the 10th inductee into the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences Hall of Fame for like video game development. But she, and unfortunately, passed away in 1998, I believe, from lung cancer. And she'd only, she transitioned in 1992, which is also the year where kind of a lot of her video game development sort of petered out. There's a really tragic thing where she was quoted about saying how she felt like she was worse at programming after transitioning, which really, really, really hurts me and is, Something I also see as really relatable as an engineer, because after I transitioned, suddenly I felt much worse at engineering, and it took me a while to realize, like, oh no, I'm still really good at this. It's just now I'm surrounded by a bunch of misogyny and trans misogyny. No, but that's
0: that's exactly what I was wondering. I mean, I I just by chance because I played, I was a big nerd and played video games. I I knew of Danielle's story, and it is very tragic, and it always didn't make sense to me, but that's interesting. You say that, that you felt like once you transitioned that, I don't know that, but, but it was external. You're saying that like, yeah, you were still good. You obviously can do engineering, but you felt like you were held back or something after transitioning.
1: Yeah. And I think a big part of that is suddenly, um, one thing about a lot of engineers is they're really good at categories and bins. So if you're like a binary trans person like a trans woman a lot of engineers will just be like oh yeah I'm just moving you into the woman bucket now and like that'll that's great like that part of it easy the problem is then all of the misogyny where then suddenly people talk over you and don't listen to you and are really disparaging and questioning of your work and I had a lot of peers and like women I worked with uh, like, my doctoral advisor, Bryony DuPont, who, she was able to, like, help me work through that and see that and understand that, like, oh, no, my work is just, it's if anything better, just because I'm still working hard and getting smarter all the time. It's just the world around me is really full of a lot of men who are trying to reduce my accomplishments or, like, mm-hmm. take credit or just generally be awful and that was really wild and eye-opening um and 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 a difficult thing misogyny is a big problem especially in mechanical engineering but in like a lot of STEM fields all of the engineering fields especially are incredibly male dominated and uh, to the point where I think mechanical engineering is still like 85-ish percent male graduates and I think I think electrical is around there as well. They're both overwhelmingly dominated by men, which is a huge problem. Mm. Um but yeah, Danielle, I just wish she'd had more women around her that could have explained, like, no, you're still amazing, beautiful, perfect you. It's just men suck. Yeah. Um it, yeah. it's a
0: whole It's a whole episode it's it's bringing up memories of other conversations I've had where like early days in, in the 80s and 70s with video games, women and men both made video games. And it wasn't like weird to have women working with men, you know, all these other things. And then I guess it just somehow got more and more male dominated. And I think during that time period, yeah, Danielle had a sucky time and yeah. it's too bad she can't talk more about it. But
1: yeah, well... There's a reason behind that is as fields become more profitable, they tend to become more male-dominated, which is like an actual like sociological phenomenon. But what's weird about engineering is it's not traditionally masculine in the way a lot of other fields are. And I think that's why we see so many trans women in engineering, especially like software and computer stuff, because it's things that subvert a lot of the expectations of masculinity, but were considered acceptable interests for them as children so that their parents could be like, Oh yeah, my child isn't a girl. They they like computers or rocket Mm. ships, you know, boy things. And I think that's why a stereotype now is like trans women working in computer science or programming, because it's like, oh yeah, no, I just didn't want to play football. So I made a computer game. Oh, that's
0: interesting. You also said something earlier. I mean, I do want to get back to the list of people for sure, but you said something about uh, a lot of, some engineers are, are really good at just thinking in the binary terms. It makes me think about like, what about non-binary engineers? I'm curious if you heard about anything like that and, and any non-binary engineers we should know about too.
1: Yeah, uh, I know a few that are great. I should have gotten their permission to name check them and shout them out but I won't. But uh, I have a few really amazing friends who are non-binary engineers. Uh, I think that was harder a handful of years ago when I think a lot of people were struggling with, with the concept. And I feel like this is, would still be harder for like more gender fluid folks. Um, for better or for worse, I've now seen kind of as far as a lot of systems designed by engineers, And then the engineers themselves go non-binary is just kind of become a third bucket, which Mm -hmm. I don't think is the most validating thing for a lot of people. But then also, um, I, I think engineers are good at can be really good at like pronouns and names and things like that for the most part, as long as they, they can sort of classify you in their little system. Mm -hmm. That's not always a good thing though, because, they could also classify you into a system that's like dehumanizing and they see as less than them, which is also bad uh, yeah,
0: okay thanks for that uh input. I'm just always interested in how a, a more traditional quote unquote field like engineering mechanical engineering or something what happens when you bring in you know change and 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 diversity and see how uh, people accept these folks but um To go back to the list of folks, the list of engineers that people should know about who happen to have been trans, uh, is there anyone else who stands out in your mind?
1: Um, I think I already mentioned Sophie Wilson, who is really incremental. Someone else I actually specifically want to call out is Angelica Ross, the actress who uh, was a self-taught programmer. And why I really like Angelica Ross in this list is she didn't have the typical career path. But what she did was engineering. She used science, math, technology to solve problems of users outside of herself as a programmer and a developer. And now she's gone on also to start TransTech. I think it's TransTech Social Enterprises. If you want to Google it, TransTech is one word, which provides like education, support, and jobs for trans people who want to get into tech. Hmm. And maybe don't have access to that through a lot of traditional paths. One of the the trends of a lot of these earlier pioneers of trans women in engineering is a lot of them, all of them basically are white and came from enough privilege to get a college education. And then with the exception of Lynn Conway, a lot of them were already pretty successful and established in their career before transitioning. And then, and part of that is like what then made them visible. There were yeah. undeniably a bunch of trans women who transitioned and woodworked or like went stealth, which just means they were not openly trans. They just transitioned and then lived as a woman or a man in the case of like trans men. And those stories are just kind of lost to history. Like those people Mm. succeeded in their goal of not being known. um, And very few of them have come out. One thing I think is interesting is a a lot of people who come out before career success and then deal with a lot of bullshit and hardship after transitioning, I feel like tend to get more involved in advocacy stuff. Mm -hmm. and be really involved in wanting to help the next generation. And we see this with Lynn later when she did finally come out and she got really involved in advocacy and being a role model and telling her story. And she had originally tried to transition in uh, the 1950s when she was a student at MIT. And she'd dropped out after uh, medical gatekeeping basically kept her from transitioning and she just got really depressed and was on the struggle bus. Eventually she went back and she went to Columbia to get her BS and MSM, MSEE and graduated with those in this like weird period where she'd partially like medically transitioned, but then had to like go back in the closet and live as a man. And then she started transitioning again in her job at IBM, who then promptly fired her. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. Which was in, I think, 1968, which IBM did apologize for eventually in 2020, which
0: is
1: (laughs) way too late for that.
0: Right. I mean, Um, IBM today, they try to, from what I understand, they try to pride themselves on on being accepting of all folks. So yeah, that's still way too late.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, And she did like super influential work while there. But I think if Lynn hadn't gotten stuck in this situation where she felt the need to tell her own story in like 1999. and you can look it up on her website. She has actually like a pretty good autobiography she wrote. I think we never would have known Lynn was a trans woman. I think we would have just been like, hmm. this amazing like cis woman from history and who like, completely revolutionized computing. So I think we're really lucky in this weird way that um, that we got her story and get to have her as a role model. And mm-hmm. then that's part of why I'm really determined to be like super out invisible visible is because I don't want my story to be lost to the next generation. I want trans kids to to know they can do this.
0: Speaking of trans kids or just kids in general, I'm wondering if there's a particular engineer, maybe Lynn Conway, who you think would be most appealing to kids? You know how kids are always want to, they want to know about the, the coolest thing. They might not want to know about the engineers doing boring work, like creating a transistor. I don't know, maybe they will. But is there any engineer who does like the most kid-friendly, uh, extravagant work that you think they should know about that maybe teachers should share to their students?
1: I mean, so Lynn is just so cool, but you have to, like, get... You have to, to understand why her work was super important. You really have to, like, have a fair amount of technical knowledge because she did super revolutionary stuff, but that mm. I feel like is like, very specific. Um, Danielle Berry, I think, is probably a story that could be made more kid-friendly. Maybe not uh, the... last few tragedy. years. Yeah. <laughs> right. Those last few years, real rep. Oh, um, but you
0: could, you could have them play her games, actually. Exactly. I feel like. If you want to teach them economy or economics, I mean, and stuff like that. Yeah. But, like,
1: The Sims is dedicated to her.
0: Oh, interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. So,
1: she... I think just showing her games to kids is a great way to get them excited about coding and see that, like, trans women can do this stuff. Um... Ashana Haley is another cool one. She's another one in the camp of, like, she transitioned after becoming wildly successful. She was one of the creators of H-Spice, which is a commercial version of Spice, that's S-P-I-C-E, which mm-hmm. is, like, a way of simulating electrical circuits for analysis. And then she created, like, early microprocessors and, like, non-volatile memory. And then she made missiles, which, that's not cool. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, she passed away a few years ago, uh she was really involved in like philanthropy but not trans philanthropy which I always think is interesting cuz she was like an out trans woman but mm-hmm. she was um involved in like a bunch of other stuff. Uh Angelica Ross is probably also a cool one to tell kids about cuz Angelica Ross is just cool. Like everything Angelica Ross has ever done is incredibly cool. Okay. Um and then hopefully me having like worked in toy design and <laughs>
0: Yeah, that, well, yeah. there you go. Not to be too, you know, patting That's yourself on the back. But, but but I will I will vouch for that. I do like the Sphero. My, my nephew plays with BB-8 all the time. It's a cool thing. And well, what tips, I guess, would you have for K-12 educators? I know college might be a different story. And I know it's been a long time since you were an elementary school student or, or high school student. But are there any tips... That you could give educators to make a more inclusive learning environment for everybody, including uh, trans students, non-binary students, just queer students.
1: Yeah, I think just respect kids is the biggest one because they know themselves. Like they're still figuring a lot of stuff out, and they're figuring out how to communicate it. But if a kid is like is out as like trans or queer or anywhere on like the LGBTQIA plus spectrum <laughs> yes yeah. they they have that figured out you don't have to like question that for them just mm. respect them and hold space for them and just teach them and that's all they want is just be like a student and live their life so that they can do whatever weird impossible thing they didn't know they could do they just need teachers to teach them and let them be themselves hmm
0: How can people find out more about your work, about your podcast, all that stuff?
1: Yeah. So the best way to find out about that is to follow me on Twitter at The Ada Rhodes. That's the underscore A-D-A underscore R-H-O-D-E-S. We're just wrapping up the second season of Totally Trans. And the third season, I think, will come out late summer. And then I have a really exciting new project that is like STEM and history related. And I'm so excited about that. I'm going to announce soon. Okay. So follow me to find out more about that. Awesome. Um, also advocacy things. Cause I'm just at the Texas Capitol yelling a lot. So yeah. Um,
0: and we need more people out there too, yelling at the Texas ledge. That's my opinion, but
1: yeah, that's another way actually as a teacher, you can really help right now is just like, Contact your representatives. Yeah, we'll need people to fight for trans kids and just keep fighting for them and protect your students because that is one thing they need. Mm. They just need to be respected in the classroom and then uh, fought for. You need to protect those kids because they're under attack. Mm.
0: I just want to say thanks once again, Ada Rhodes, Dr. Ada Rhodes Short. Appreciate your time. And I hope that I can follow more about your projects. Awesome.
1: It's great talking with you.
0: That was Dr. Ada Rhodes Short, Mechanical Engineer. Find links to her Twitter profile, resources on the other engineers Dr. Short mentioned today, and more in the show notes for this episode. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is sponsored by my creative studio, Pios Labs in Austin, Texas, where I consult on engineering and education, making podcasts, programming educational technology, training professionals, and more. Follow Pios Labs on the internet to learn more, that's P-I-O-S-L-A-B-S. This podcast is possible thanks to superb people donating to the show on Patreon each month. Help me continue the podcast. Donate to the show, too, at patreon.com slash Pios Labs. Leave a review of the show on wherever you're listening to it, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever. That will help keep the show going, too. Visit the podcast website for show notes, links, links, transcripts, I'm still working on those, and more, go online to k12engineering.net. And that's it for today. Thank you, listener, and until next time.